welcome to Rock Talk, Episode 7. My name is Bill Martin. And I'm Paul Seip. Hey, Bill, you know what? We're going to try something new here. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad you asked, but we're going to do something new. I want to start doing shout outs. So, oh, great it, idea. <laughs> thanks for the kudos. So, at the end of uh, episode six, we, uh, we, we talked about my email being out there and people sent us in suggestions. So, I got a big shout out uh, before we get started here. I want to I shout out to Paul Constantine. He is our sales lead covering Australia and New Zealand. They're doing some great things out, out there. Um, Paul, Bill, and I really appreciate your support and promotion of Episode 6, Breaker Wars. And for that effort and for all of your support, we're going to be sending you some swag out soon. So thanks for listening, and I uh, really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Paul. We really promote, really uh, appreciate the, the promotion. So, so Paul, what, what's today's topic? Bill, like I said last time, we are going to bring the power. So uh, we're going to talk about industrial power supplies. Cool. Great. You know, um, when you look at uh, customers and electrical panels, you know, most of them have uh, some form of 24-volt DC power in there. They need something to to run some sensor or or some kind of component. And a lot of times it's really the the critical part of the enclosure, If, if that 24 volt DC power supply goes down, you know, uh, your, your whole solution is down, you know? So there's many types of power supplies that are out there on the market. So which, which one do you use? It's a great question, Bill. And you know, we say every time we do one of these, I'm not a guy that can answer anything. So really, come on. What, hey, <laughs> we got a guy to help us. That's uh, been kind of bringing the power for his whole career. So um, coming in to, to talk to us today is Derek Hines. Derek, can you tell us about yourself? Sure. Well, my name is Derek Hines uh, out of West Michigan or what we call West Michigan. It's pretty much all of Michigan with the exception of Detroit. Um, but uh, I've been out in the field here supporting customers, training the sales force, training customers and launching new products here for the last uh, seven or eight years. And prior to that, worked in Milwaukee with Alan Bradley here and actually supported the uh, power supply line uh, prior to that. So have, have quite a bit of knowledge here in the uh, 24 volt control world. That's for sure. You know, Derek, I think one time you, you helped introduce some of these power supplies to the market. I, I, I did. That's right, Bill. I'm, I'm surprised being at your age that the memory still goes back that far, but yeah, you're right. <laughs> I had to dig deep down, but <laughs> I remember. <laughs> and now you're out promoting them. That's that, That's right. That's great. In fact, you've, you've probably met with a lot of different panel designers and, and, and power supplies users since you've been out in uh, West Michigan, huh? A- absolutely. I mean, so so when you mentioned, you know, many panels have have 24 volt control. I, I don't I, I don't really remember the last time I saw a, con- a control panel that isn't 24 volt control based. Right. I mean, the days of 120 control, eh, they still exist a little bit. But in general, everything's gone 24 volt control. In fact, Bill, I would tell you. Remember years ago when we used to launch products, we always launched 120 volt first, and then we'd backfill with 24 volt DC and 240 AC. Okay. Oh, now we launch 24 volt DC and then backfill with the others. So uh-huh, great. Are they using the 24 volt DC more for uh, for safety, uh, electrical safety reasons, or just in, in general, it's safety, right? So it's uh, it's below our 50 volt threshold, etc. Um, so that's that's the main reason for it. So less less concerned about contact and that on it. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, so. There's many different power supplies out on the on the market today. So, of all the panel builders and designers and users that you've you've met with, you know, how, how do they determine 
which power supply to use. Wow. Um, so, so there's many factors that go into this, right? And so most customers will tell you, oh, it's price. It's AC in, it's DC out. What's the difference, right? right. Uh, I, I got to tell you, nowadays, as I just mentioned, most, 24, most control has gone 24 volt DC. So I kind of look at a power supply as a, as a simple AC in, DC out, it appears. That is the heart and soul of every control circuit. So to your point, if it were to happen to go down, yep, your control circuit goes down and can cause all kinds of havoc, right? Yeah. But what do you do if you have a power supply that that dips or sags a little bit here and there as the as cycle as, as products cycle on and off? So whether it's relays or solenoids, valves, actuators, devices that are out on machines, pneumatic valves and hydraulic cylinders and stuff that are cycling on and off that are putting a, a draw on that power supply. So what happens if your voltage dips to 18 volts or 15 volts or something something below nominal? Because every 24 volt product comes with a 10 to 15% input voltage tolerance, right? And if you drop, oh, right. what happens? Well, intermittent bad things can sort of happen and they become gremlins out there on your machine that are hard to figure out where the issue's really going on. Oh, so, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, sure. Causes a lot of havoc, right? A- a- absolutely, absolutely does. Um, so, you know, there's there, there's a lot more to when considering a power supply as well. So so the voltage dips are, are one big issue, hence the reason we built in that big power boost in our XLS products just to help get us through that. Um, but reliability is, is more than just that, that piece of it. So reliability also gets into what's the life expectancy of that. And, and it's more than life expectancy. We, we tend to talk about efficiency. And I guess I'd ask most of our customers don't even think of looking at efficiency when they're selecting a power supply. Well, why is efficiency important? Well, efficiency is important because it, it saves energy, right? That's the first thing most people would tell you. Why is that important? Well, it saves energy. Yeah. Oh, right. Customer's not beating me up yet on, on how much power that. It's only a couple of watts. Who cares? Yeah. So what's the difference, right? But, but think about this for a minute. So every single power supply that I've ever seen in the market, Rockwell or not, has a, has a, uh, the top is, is, is uh, got little holes in it, right? For, for venting air. Right. Um, that's that's for letting out heat. It's not just there for letting little cutoff strands of wire get in there and short things out. Uh, right? It's yeah, kind of like a chimney effect then. Yeah, exactly right. So and if you took a thermal image of most panels, you would see one of the top hotspots in every panel is that power supply. Uh, they, really? They're switch mode power supplies. Uh. So when we talk about efficiency, you'll see most of our new products now are in the 95 percent efficient range. So wow. leaps and bounds beyond where they were a year, just a few years ago. And you might say, all right, well, the power supply I'm using today is 90% efficient or 88 and yours is 95. That's not a real big difference, is it? Right. Well, it's a few percentage points. Yeah, but that's looking at it the wrong way. So ours is 5% inefficient, right? Right. And if theirs is, let's say, 88% efficient, that actually makes them 12% inefficient. Okay. So they're putting out twice as much heat as we are into that panel. Uh, so anybody that's ever done heat load calcs, because most people will look at that efficiency and say, ah, it doesn't matter. It's just a few points. Well, hang on. You got to actually look at it the other way. It's how much heat are you actually dissipating, which is a spec most of the time buried deep in the spec somewhere that nobody ever reads. Um, but not only does it dissipate less heat, if you take a look at the size, what we've been able to do by, re- by increasing our efficiency yeah, a fraction of the size of what we used to be, or what, or of what competitors are out there nowadays. And the the key that got us that was that high efficiency. All uh, those big thermal heat sinks and stuff that used to be buried deep yeah. in power supplies, right? All gone. All uh, gone. Okay. So, so that really saved us. But also, what does that do to our MTBF to the meantime between failure? Yeah, so right. 
anytime we calculate an MTBF, one of the big pieces in that equation is how hot does that get, right? So heat kills electronics, dries out caps. Uh, but by right. running a lot cooler, if you looked at our MTBFs, that's the reason that we've invested so heavily into our efficiencies on our power supplies was directly linked to the longer life that we get in the smaller footprint. And it all goes back to efficiency, which, you know, a lot of people maybe don't necessarily think is important yet. So, um, so it's a, a cooler running power supply, which means yep. it'll, it'll last for a longer period of time. Absolutely right. Yep. And you could probably use it in a smaller enclosure too, because you don't need all the, uh, the internal cooling. It, 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 it mitigates that. So anybody that's doing a heat load calc on a, on a panel knows what I'm talking about because no different than other electronics that heat up inside of a panel. Um, a, a power supply is one of those that you have to look at if you're doing a heat load calc, sizing an air conditioner or a fan or anything else for that panel. Absolutely. And it sounds like too now that you've um, made it more efficient. Uh, you mentioned something about the size of the power supply. Yeah, we, we literally are a, a fraction. I used to call the good old 20 amp power supplies a foot long. Um, and uh, not that you could eat it, I guess you'd have to really be hungry to pull that off, but right. they're literally the size of what a five amp power supply used to be. They're, they're a few inches wide. Huh. It, it's absolutely amazing. And they dissipate a fraction of the heat of what they used to. And instead of just being a 20 amp power supply, they give a big power boost function. So for example, if you had a, a, a solenoid bank or a valve bank or something that's hanging out in your machine, um, when it goes to cycle, there's a, there's a big surge that happens and it draws a bunch of power. So our 20 amp will give 30 plus amps at inrush. Our five wow. amp will give seven and a half amps. Our 10 amp will give 15 amps. So they're all rated that the bulk of them are rated at that 150% power boost, depending on which family you go with. And it's, it's there for exactly that issue. So if you've ever had valve banks or anything of that nature that have failed a little sooner than you would have liked, and you say, Oh, you know what? That's the third contactor I lost this week. And um, or this month or this year when contactors normally lasted for many years, in many cases, it might not be a contactor that's the issue. It could very well be um, something with your control circuit not providing adequate power. So the pull-in time lasts too long, coil gets too hot, degrades the material into coil winding, and poof, there it goes. Yeah, it kind of goes back to that reliability topic you were a talking about. Absolutely. And now I'm talking about reliability on other devices that connect to it, right? Not just right. the supply itself. So that, that's one of the big benefits we at Rockwell have is we see all of those products, right? We're not just a power supply manufacturer. We have everything that ties to it. And so when we saw customers having issues um, with failing contactors or other devices out there, that's how we came up with the whole power boost concept years ago. Ah, cool. Wow. That sounds great. Well, yeah. That also speaks to the gremlin, the gremlins in the machine, right? So, um, so hey, we, we talked about reliability. We talked about high efficiency how about availability? This is a whole different aspect of how kind of how good your power supply is, right, Derek? Yeah. So, so there's lots to talk about when we talk about availability of power. So we talked about the power boost piece of it, but there's also um, things like DC UPSs, for example. So when people, when most customers think about putting UPSs, which are becoming very commonplace inside of industrial control panels, why are UPSs becoming very common? Number one, because they um, if let's say I've got an ethernet switch in there and if I lose power to that ethernet switch, even just for a second or two, all that data being transferred, where'd that data just go off the data heaven, right? Never coming right. back. It's good heaven. Yep. <laughs> yep. So, so power UPSs and backup power. That's one nice thing about a, a, a DC 
power supply is number one, you get what's called ride through time. Take a look at the ride through spec on ours. We, we really focus on that. We're one of the industry leaders in ride through time. What that means is from when you lose power, or your power dips, the amount of time the power supply will support it or hold itself up and basically become stored energy in the circuit will or, or uh, of the uh, power supply itself. But sure. we also have buffer modules that are batteryless UPSs that can carry you through ride through time. But we also have DC UPSs. And most of the time when we have customers talk about, you, oh, yeah, I need a UPS and they immediately go to an AC style UPS. Well, think about what you're doing. You're taking AC, putting that into a, a uh, transformer to convert it in, in, into the uh, UPS to convert it to DC, taking DC from the battery to convert it back into AC. Think of all that heat you're generating inside that panel to, sure. to bring that power back to DC, where if you just stayed at DC, so if, if most of your control is 24 volts DC, so whether it's a, a uh, industrial computer or a PLC, almost all of that stuff now is going 24 volt DC. We don't need 120 AC. So to the thought of having 120 AC to support our DC UPS, I'm sorry, our DC power supply now goes out the window. We can just take a little 12 volt battery, whether it's, and, and these are standard off the shelf batteries, run it through a special module, but it keeps everything right at the, um, at the 24 volt level. We're not, we're not driving an inverter or anything to create AC. It's strictly staying at DC at the low voltage. Wow. What very about, things where, um, what about uh, if a power supply were to, you know, something were to happen to it, but you still need to um, provide that, that power. A UPS might not be able to, to do that. Are there some other solutions to help out with that? Sure. So, I mean, normally a, a, normally a UPS can ride you through, right? But if you are in a, like a process application or something where you can't afford to have a power supply go down ever because it would cost a lot of money and time to get that back up and going. Um, you could talk about redundancy. So many of our power supplies have the ability to, to uh, operate redundantly. We also have redundancy modules. And basically what that means is I could have one power supply go down. The other is there to, to pick up, to carry the load and go. The big the idea about a redundancy module is when a power supply fails, it has two ways to fail. It could either A, internally short, or it could be internally open when that circuit fails, if it takes a surge on the input or something. Redundancy right. module um, basically has diodes inside of it that blocks the two from ever being able to take the other one down. So if something shorts inside that other power supply, the other power supply will never see that the redundancy module blocks it. It's basically a check valve, if you will. Ah, cool. Does that make sense, Bill? It does. Yeah, it totally makes sense. So yeah, a lot of different ways to make sure that you have 24 volts there at, at all times. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. They're very, very full and complete line. So, you know, to me, it all starts with the, the holdup time, which is the amount of time if we lose power that the power supply can hold up its power. Then we get into buffer modules, which is basically a smart bank of caps that you can stick on there that, that are literally in a little power supply housing. Um, and then we talk about the UPSs, if you need longer ride through time than that, and then there's redundancy capabilities. So there's a lot of options within the 24 volt control. It's really grown over the last 10 years, if you will, as 24 volt control has really grown as well. Yeah, sounds like it. It sounds, you know, can this be complicated to set up though and, and to wire? Bill, you're talking to a mechanical guy. <laughs> I can set it up. So if any of this sounded complicated, I, I would encourage you to to hit rewind, playback again. Um, and, and, and this time, listen. Do you think Paul could do it? It's really simple. Well, <laughs> I think he could. Really? I, I think he could, yes. Yep. With, a, with a set of IKEA instructions, I can do anything. 
<laughs> so, it, it, and, and you know what? We've got a lot of great wiring diagrams that are out there right within the power supply port. Uh, there's, there's wiring diagrams for our power supplies showing all these different types of applications and different ways to wire them. Hmm. So there's lots of options that are out there uh, to help customers get by. So if you ever have questions, ah, oh, how does that redundancy module work exactly? Let, let one of your distributor or Rockwell folks know. And uh, we'd be more than happy if you can't find it online to, to get you those kind of documents and pretty much for any of the products that we're talking about through these episodes. Okay. No, great. You know, since you are a mechanical guy, um, <laughs> you know, putting to assembling a, uh, a panel um, and uh, actually physically attaching wires to these things, are, are there some things that you see out in the industry that, that, that make that part, the mechanical part of installing this stuff easier? Yeah, boy, that's a great lead-in, Bill. Yes, there absolutely are. So from a termination perspective, you know, years ago, screws were pretty much what most customers wanted. Yeah, right. It's always screw. Yeah. Yeah. So so over time, the that is slowly changing, especially here in the U.S. Um, spring terminals have become very, very popular, especially a well-designed spring terminal. Um, I like on our XLSs where they have a, a cam lock that holds them open. It's not one of these where you need a screwdriver. You hold the product with one hand, a screwdriver with the other, yeah. and you the third hand, and you slip the wire in. Right. It's not that. It's it's got a lever with a cam lock. You hold it down, slip the wire in. There's zero tools required. But in addition to that, now the other big one for us is uh, customers using ferrules, so uh -huh. with push-in style connectors. So that may, that's even easier yet. And what's the benefit of a spring clamp? So number one. Every single screw that we sell that a customer touches comes with a little thing called a torque spec. Right. Who in the field uses a torque driver? Not me. Well, <laughs> My wrist. And we all have calibrated arms and wrists, right? Exactly. We know when it's tight. Well, thermal, thermal cycling, shock and vibration, joints relax, screws back out. It happens over time. Right. It will never be tighter than the minute you tighten it. Than, than you tighten it. A spring clamp doesn't care about any of that, right? So it... it, it it rides through all of those kind of issues that can pop up out there in the field. The big benefit on the, uh, the, the feral style or the push-in, know what we call them, um, that's coming out now in, all, in most of the new products with push-in technology, there's no tools required. So if you're using a ferrule, in most cases, the customers that are taking the time to put the ferrule on, you get that time right back by just pushing it into the device itself. So in this case, into the power supply. Um, and it's a nice, secure connection as well. So it makes it really, really simple. And with the ferrule, you're not worried about strands of wire, you know, linking over to the to the wrong terminal or anything. Right. Like that. It keeps it really nice and clean. Ah, I think cool. it ties in. It ties in really nicely too, because we did an episode talking about the the most recent UL revision, and oh, yeah. and actually had a section on on ferrules, which hasn't been a topic for quite some time for UL. But this kind of brings it home into where people are using them and why it's important. That's right. You know, another really big one, um, it, if we got a minute, Bill, is the on 24 volt control, as more and more customers are trying to figure out ways to reduce the panel or eliminate the panel in some cases and putting devices out on machine. So, oh, yeah. so as we start talking about hanging motor starters and drives and stuff out on the machine, not just sensors and things, but all kinds of stuff, they're, they're linking around the entire perimeter of the machine. Well, how do we get 24 volts all the way around the machine? So 24 volts in the panel or in a panel, and then we, we drape it, you know, 50 feet, 100 feet, 1,000 feet. Depends on how long this machine is, the conveyor is, whatever it is. 24 volts at the power supply through, let's just say, 
18 or 16 gauge wire, whatever you're running, yeah. 50 feet, 100 feet, whatever that distance is away, what's the voltage on the end of that wire? Well, yeah, it right. absolutely goes down. So we're trying to work with to determine better ways to distribute power. And one of the ways we've got is the new on-machine power supply line, the 1607 product, oh. uh, the armor power products. So what you can actually do with that, it's in a nice fully potted housing. Okay. And you, you bolt it right to the side of the machine and it's just got a couple of quick connects um, and you're off and running and you can distribute your 24, you can distribute then uh, single phase AC power down the line and then you plug those guys in and then you get your 24 right where you need it versus trying to distribute it or mounting a bunch of power supplies and J boxes out around the machine. This is just a nice, simple, clean solution for doing it. Yeah. So it's not only easy to use, but gives you a nice, reliable power right, right there that's, on the machine. That's huh. absolutely right. Yep. Oh, so, great. so Derek, what are, what are some typical mistakes that you see? Not, not that our, we want to talk about our customers making mistakes, but in the in the realm of power supply, where do you see customers maybe making some selection choices where that didn't turn out to be the best choice? Can you share some of that experience with us? Sure, absolutely. So the biggest mistake we see by far is people ignoring what I'm going to say, for lack of better terms, we call inrush, and it, and uh, and it goes back to that solenoids, valves, contactors relays, all of that kind of stuff. So as we've gone to electronic coils, as we've gone to two-stage coils, all of that kind of stuff, or let's say uh, roller motors, for example, which is real popular right now in conveyoring with powered rollers rather. And uh, uh, they all have what acts like inrush and people just ignoring the fact that that inrush, they look at the current and size it accordingly. And so the big issue with that is that that's a quick way to burn those devices out. You need to size appropriately for both making sure you've got some adequate power there to get your loads started, coils pulled in, solenoids fired, whatever it is. And then also have enough, obviously, then you would still have enough for the uh, for the steady state. What happens is when you go to fire up that machine and a bunch of things pull in and do whatever and your voltage drops, that's what causes a lot of issues out there is people just neglecting that. So that's why like on our XLS power supplies, when we built in that 150% power boost, it was exactly for that, to help customers either buy some insurance for the customers um, who, who didn't want to size it, but it also allowed in many cases, people who used to use a 10, 10 amp power supply, for example, and if they needed, you know, five amps or something, ah, I need more than that though. For, so they'd order a 10 amp to, to overcome the inrush. Now, in many cases, they could still use our five amp that gave them seven to eight amps at inrush. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, I mean, is that the rule of thumb? If you, if you have some of those type of loads, you want, you want, you can pick a power supply at the rated current, but you want to have that power boost and you're covered or is there, you know, some calculation where you need to worry about how many of those devices and how much extra current you need to, to apply? Yeah. So, so that's a great question. So there is no rule of thumb, right? So the rule of thumb would be bigger is better but every product is different. So in, as you've probably seen over the years, like the, the coils, we've really worked hard, All everybody has, on trying to reduce the amount of, of power that a coil consumes during normal runtime. The, the, the flip side to that is if you look at the inrush, it's significantly more than it ever used to be, which is how we get the coils to pull in fast to reduce all the arcing and sparking that takes place, right? So we want a nice hard pull that requires what acts like that inrush. And then the steady state is dramatically lower than it ever was. So that's a good thing. We just need to make sure we're sizing 
to help everything pull in appropriately. That makes sense. Yeah. Wow. Now these are great things to, to think about when selecting a, a power supply. Um, yep. So always uh, remember line lengths are killers on 24 volt, especially when we start talking about conveyors and, and motorized rollers and anything that hangs out there on the machine and voltage dips and sags. And these aren't things that you're just going to walk up with a multimeter. Well, you could if it's really bad, but most of the time you need a scope to grab it while things are cycling to actually see uh, that, that dip in the power. That makes sense too. I, I've I've noticed too when some uh, support calls come in, if they send product back to the to the factory for us to analyze. We can never get it to fail. But if you ever go on site, yeah, you get to see things like a, like a voltage dip or right. a power boost. Then then you finally understand what's going on with the, with the problem. Yep. Great. Well, it sounds like there's a lot of great uh, solutions out there to uh, to make sure you have reliable, efficient, uh, 24 volt power in a nice small package. And the smaller the package, the less you have to worry about that undocumented feature of having the wire f fall in there and short out the power supply. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right. <laughs> That's right. You know, I've never had a customer say, hey, do you have a bigger power supply? We're trying to fill our panel out, right? Everyone's trying to reduce that size. So so the, the, the benefit, one of the benefits, like we talked about early on, of that whole high efficiency is it really helped us reduce the footprint on the power supplies themselves. So, Paul... All the things that Derek's been talking about here, do you know which power supply to use when bringing power to your panel? I I know there's a lot to consider. I hear I thought I need a 24-volt power supply. Just go get a 24-volt power supply. Now I realize there's a whole lot of things to consider. How long is my application? Am I going to take this outside the panel? Do I need to worry about efficiency? How many solenoid lo loads, how many you know non-traditional or inductive loads do I have that I need to power up? that I may need to consider power boost or maybe even a bigger power supply than my current rating. So what my takeaway here is going to be, I'm going to call Derek if I need to pick a power supply. <laughs> Me too. He seems to know what's going on. Expect a lot of phone calls, Derek. All right. Uh, no, this is great. Uh, Derek, thank you again for um, uh, participating in, in today's podcast. Uh, I know I learned a lot. Paul, how about you? Well, as always, Derek, did you have any um, last thoughts you wanted to share before we close out today? No, the, the biggest thing I would say is don't ever underestimate the importance of good, solid control power. So just making sure it's good and stable and that you're never uh, undersizing it because that can cause all kinds of little gremlins that are really tough to find and make all of us look a little bit silly when we're trying to troubleshoot those good words of thought yep so thanks thanks again derek we enjoyed having you on the show thanks for spending the time with us really appreciate it no problem thanks for having me so paul what's what's our next topic bill we hardly finished this awesome topic we're on and we're already talking about the next one but it's it's kind of the late light heavyweight championship of motor control we're going to talk this major battle smc's smart motor control versus vfd's uh, variable frequency drives and we're we're gonna battle it out on the next podcast oh that that sounds awesome i, I can't wait i i'm looking forward to it too bill uh as always thanks everyone for listening you can find us on spotify google podcast radio public anchor breaker pocket cast seismic and apple podcasts let us know if you like the show let us know what you want to hear more of uh just drop me an email 
Give me some suggestions. We'll try to send out some swag. Sounds great. Uh, until next time, Paul. I'll see you then, Bill.